All year round, Frontier Home Products and Design has what you need to make your home comfortable and beautiful. Relax on a new timber tech deck designed by Frontier's experts. A new fireplace from Frontier Home Products Fireplace Gallery adds warmth and serenity to any home. Beauty and versatility at Frontier Home Products and Design Center, 4213 Peachtree, 5th next to the Bayfront Highway. Frontier Home Products and Design Center. Discover a new frontier. PA contractor number PA039007. Welcome to TalkErie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. We want to welcome to our microphones the state representative for the second district uh, of Pennsylvania, Representative Bob Mursky. Welcome back, Bob. Thank you so much for being on the, the air here. Thank you for having me. All righty. So um, it's a busy time in the in the cycle. We're getting ready for the governor's budget. And I was amazed when I went to your website today. You're on one, two, three, four, five standing committees right you're the vice chair of game and fisheries i mean you know do you have like briefing books coming out of your your car going you know all over the place uh, when you're getting ready for bed or whatever you know and chair of the northwest delegation yeah they oh keep there you busy. go that's right i'm a busy man but um no, I do have an extra committee compared to everybody else. And okay. so um, I was just appointed to the finance committee um, before the end of the last year. And so I'm excited to be on that. That handles the revenue side okay. um, and then appropriations handles the spending. So um, I'm on the revenue side for um, the finance committee. And then the committees that I have, Game and Fisheries, Lake Erie, it's just common sure. sense. It may, uh, you know, I'm proud to be on that. It's, it's a fun committee to be on. Um, the Pennsylvania has a great heritage of anglers and hunters, mm, and so no doubt. Um, that's a good one to be on, and I enjoy it. Gaming oversight, I have the casino in my district, Presque Isle Downs, right. um, so I'm on that, and uh, Representative Harkins is the chairman of that uh, committee. I'm on insurance, with your insurance being one of our largest employers, our only Fortune 500 company, uh, to have representation from Erie on that committee, um, and also for the, um, consumer protection side of insurance I think is important sure. you know that's important to me um, and I enjoy that committee and then I'm on professional licensure you think of uh, all the doctors that are coming out of LECOM all the nurses coming out of the universities yeah. they all need a license and so those, those um, professional license issues and then all the way down from doctors and, and nurses to your barber and your sure. esthetician and, and those licenses and so I'm learning a lot about all of the different jobs that are licensed in Pennsylvania on that committee. And, and um, so I, I have a wide variety, um, much like when I taught, you know, jack sure. of all trades, master of none. And <laughs> what, but, <laughs> what, what did you, t like, what, what was your main subject? At, I at taught school? everything. So did I started, really? yeah, I started in second grade and oh then my, I went okay. all the way up. My last year was freshman and seniors at, at Collegiate Academy. Is that right? And so, um, and everything from special ed to regular ed to AP World and AP Euro. So oh, okay. I, I was- uh, You were doing joked, history, cool. Oh, I was like, you know, the old nuns, you know, they just put them where they needed them. That's what, <laughs> I just kept getting a certification for everything that they needed me to do. So uh, I enjoyed it though. Yeah, but most of the time, the lion's share of my time was in middle school special education. Okay. That was Very the lion's cool. share. And then I finished in high school. Uh, English and social studies ending at uh, two years AP World and AP European History at Collegiate Academy. 
Where did you Where did you go to school? Like, where did you go to, for to, grade, grade school? school? I went to Holy Family on the Lower East Side. My parent, uh, my grandma on my dad's side was Slovak, and that was the Slovak Parish. Okay. So that's why we went there. Um, I grew up on 26th Street, so we we took the bus down there, mm-hmm. and then I went to Cathedral Prep for high school and Mercyhurst University, which was Mercyhurst College back then for my uh, college. For your ed degree, mm-hmm. wow. And then I got my master's online through Wilkes University. Okay, cool. Another Pennsylvania school, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I, I want to kind of capture the moment because you, uh, along with some other co-sponsors, um, have introduced some legislation or uh, uh, maybe studying a legislation on AI, uh, artificial intelligence in campaigns. Yes. I think this is a huge deal here especially going into the presidential year that um it would be so easy to put bob mersky's face you know heck uh you know on the steps of the capitol on january i mean literally they can make it look seamless and it'd be totally false right absolutely so what are your fears and what are you hoping to do with this legislation uh i was on a workshop an online workshop about artificial intelligence and there was a gentleman from the FBI on there and uh, he he said on there if they capture three seconds of your voice just three seconds they can create a whole conversation in your voice and then he said the other thing that really struck me was um, that artificial intelligence has allowed lay people to use this technology to do things that they would have never been able to do because they didn't have the the wherewithal, the smarts to to do it. But because of the programming on top of programming uh, layers on artificial intelligence, the artificial intelligence can, they can tell the artificial intelligence what to do and it'll do it for them. Um, Like for example, you know, coding uh, the computer to make your image and make it speak like the voice that's coming out. the artificial intelligence will now do that so you don't need a coder to do that so it's so much easier to do things that are for good or nefarious purposes right so we're talking about on this uh legislation um nefarious purposes there's already not in pennsylvania but in another state um i don't know it was a candidate i think it was a special interest group put out an advertisement using um a deep fake it was a deep fake of a, a candidate and the person never said this thing. It wasn't the, it was the image of the person, but not their likeness, but not them. And, um, and it went out and this is a red flag. I think whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or an independent, everyone should agree that impersonating somebody and faking people out should be off limits. And that's what this legislation does. It says, this is out of bounds. You can't do this. Um, you know, if I can mess up on my own is how I always joke about it. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can mess up on my own. I don't need someone to fake it for me, you know? Well, and, and, so. and, and, and how would you know if you, again, we right. have such an issue with, you know, voters, you know, going into the ballot box with very little information. Now, if you have information that was fake, Right. I mean, that's just that is a threat to democracy. It's a it's a complete fraud. Now, imagine your candidate of choice. You know, you see a video of them and disavowing all of these American ideals that we all hold so sacred. And and they're saying maybe they say America's garbage. It stinks. You know, this is the worst country ever. And then it goes viral. Yes. You can't put that genie back in the bottle once it's out. And so we have to make sure that we have uh, guardrails on this artificial intelligence. And and I have 
two bills that, and there's a group of us that are really interested in artificial intelligence. Rep Paelli, um, I'm working with him on, on that one. Rep um, uh, Tariq Khan from Philadelphia, we're working on a bill together as well. Um, then uh, Rep Arvind Venkat, he is a, a licensed medical doctor. He has an artificial intelligence bill dealing with insurance and um, the medical profession. Oh, wow. But we're working on these, um, not in isolation, but but collectively in, in tandem, knowing that this is going to um, have broad reach across all aspects of our society and of life. Um, so while we're working on the campaign part of it, we also have a bill in um, that I'm the prime co-sponsor uh, that would uh, prohibit, it would put making the Pennsylvania Crimes Code it illegal, uh, much like it's illegal to record somebody in Pennsylvania without their knowledge and consent. Yeah. It would make it illegal for you to use their voice, image, and likeness without their consent. And we think of consumer protections. Right now, um, there's phone calls being made all across the country to mostly senior citizens who pick up and they get scammed. Now imagine if that same phone call is in your grandchild's voice and grandma picks up the phone and it's the grandchild saying, grandma, I'm stuck on the side of the road. My car broke down. I need money for a tow. Can you give me your credit card number? She's much more likely to do that than to talk to some scam. And she, it's the, people are getting scammed with just the regular phone calls. Right. Imagine now when we're able to impersonate people with just three seconds of their voice. It can it can have a lot of um, malfeasance could go on. A well, lot of I mean, malfeasance yeah, it, could go it, on. It just could be an absolute nightmare. And so, and the, and like the guy from the FBI said, um, this is allowing common criminals to do things that they've never technologically been able to do because they didn't have the skills to do it. Yeah. Now the AI gives them the skills that they didn't have. And wow. so, wow. Um, it's it's so we have a bunch of bills in that I think really address. Um, immediate issues and then we also have the overarching uh, resolution to for the joint state government commission to study artificial intelligence not just for consumer protections and the outside but also for pennsylvania government and how, what does that look like and we're doing this in tandem with governor shapiro because he has his own task force and okay. his own technology people and, and he just put out um uh, an uh information on what his agenda is for state government in terms of permissible use for artificial intelligence and, and um, guidelines for state government right now for the administration. And I think that um, when we look at that, uh, you know, in whole, in aggregate, with the governor, what he's doing, with what the legislature's doing, uh, we're, we're trying to get ahead of the curve because we what we don't want to happen is what happened with social media is the, bar, right. the heart, horse was out of the barn and it was yeah. too late to get it back. Uh, it would be interesting to see how you manage law enforcement with this because it's it would almost require a brand new branch of of specialization. You know, like like in finance, you have those those fraud investigators. Right. They've had they have to take so much learning you know, for the Pennsylvania State Police or even a local law enforcement agency like the Erie Police Department. But you need to you need to know a lot to investigate fraud. For sure. Same thing with this. How would you even know the difference between an A I mean, they almost need they almost need to be able to drop some kind of a data bit that says this is AI. This is AI, you know, that kind of thing. Well there's a lot like of a watermark, you know. And I think to our credit here uh, locally we have two 
universities that are immersed in cybersecurity, and I think that's going to be uh, a pipeline for a lot of this work, um, working with Gannon and Merciers, um, making sure that their students have some of these skills that they're ready to go out into the community and, and take on these roles, I think is important. And not just here locally, but obviously that's a concentration here. Uh, the other thing is um, when you look at fraud units that already exist, mm -hmm. um, they already have people who are good with computers. And so it's just um, giving them a little up training versus uh, reinventing the wheel. And I think that's, you know, we, we have the resources available right now. It, it's adding, um, you know, it, it's like fr going from the um, old style gun to, a, you know, a, <laughs> and then <laughs> to a laser to a, gun. Well, I mean, yeah, right. to the modern pistol that we right. have now, you know. Uh, from it, the Colt 45 exactly. to the, the, the Glock 9 millimeter. Absolutely. And so <laughs> my point being, yeah. we have the staff, we have the resources. Okay. Now we just have to train them for the modern technology. That makes a lot of sense. Let's grab a phone call. Hey, you're live. Thanks for waiting here on Talk Erie. Go ahead. Is that me? Yes, you're on, you're on. Go ahead. Okay, good afternoon, Joel Shady and Representative Mursky. Hey, uh, Representative Mursky, on the uh, subject of renewable energy, I think I gotta, uh, I'd like to go there for a second. And, and I'm not even sure if the couple areas I'm going to refer to are in your geographical district, but I know they're in this city. Uh, the uh, area from 16th Street from Parade over to, I think it's Holland or even French, that's cleared down. And uh, the Erie Coke site, I think they make a wonderful two sites for uh, uh, solar panels. I, they would look uh, be contributing, uh, contributing, excuse me, there to uh, to uh, renewable energy. And uh, being in the city, it'd show a lot of forward thinking. I think so. I appreciate uh, that. We're going to keep moving. Thank you. We'll let him uh, answer off the air. Thanks. Um, so. I mean, that is not exactly in your district there, but what what is what's the state's met, uh, what's the state's motivation now for renewables these days? Yeah. Well, I think you know we're moving towards a renewable energy for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, it's becoming more cost effective. Uh, number two, we know that you know we don't want pollution, and so yeah. we know that um, there's a lot of air pollution, and we're trying to mitigate that. Uh, obviously, natural gas is a great transition fuel because it emits less um, pollutants than coal. And so, when you're making it, uh, when you're generating electricity, yeah. exactly. And so, um, but as the solar technology has increased, I think back to when I was a kid, and like you'd have to put the oh my gosh, calculator yeah. by the light <laughs> by That's the uh, window to get it to work. And so um, now you have uh, the technology has just advanced so much. Uh, what I think, uh, you know, in relation to the question, um, you're going to see some micro um, uh, solar farms, if you will. Okay. Uh, I But I don't know, you know, the city with their zoning, I don't know what their zoning is, but it's definitely um, you're seeing solar on top of buildings and not just government buildings. What you're starting to see now is uh, corporations realizing hey look we can save some money especially when you go down south out west right. um, where there's less clouds more sun but even here yeah. the city of erie um the firehouse south or the central firehouse on 12th street mm -hmm. uh downtown uh they have solar panels on the roof and uh, when the power went out they were able to keep that operational because 
they were running off of that solar energy. Even with the clouds, even with the snow, they were able to generate enough electricity to stay operational. Do you, uh, you know, they, they just had, they just turned down, Venango Township just turned down that big solar farm at, at I guess it was at the old Erie County Airport. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a, you know, it was sad to see that, although there was concern about runoff and things. But, um, you know, they're always going to be the situation of not in my backyard. And, and we, we, we saw that in, in West County with, uh, you know, uh, the county executive wanting to get some economic development online. I want to ask you, cause you're part of the finance department, uh, the finance committee. I don't know if this really pertains, but the, the concept of economic development, you know, uh, and things like the art, the rack P funding, you know, those are very competitive grants, right? When you're going for that. I mean, how does Erie speak in one voice, getting all of our representatives, you know, th- you know, uh, to, to jump on uh, um, different projects without, without it, and being successful at, at Harrisburg? Are we doing it? Uh, I mean, do you find that we're doing it okay? Or do we need to speak a little bit more as one voice? No, I think that we have a very good process. Um, at least the five years that I've been on. Yeah. Um, you know, when I started, uh, Kathy Dahlkemper was the county executive. Uh, and we would all convene. She would bring everyone together. The mayor, the county executive would bring the delegation together. And um, we would look at all the applications and we would advocate for the ones that we thought rose to the top. And then we would rank them as a collective and we would decide, okay, we're going to speak with one voice for Erie County and this is what we're going to present to the governor. And um, by the end of the the meeting, you know, we had a consensus. And I think that uh, is that speaking with one voice. That was one of the things that Governor Wolf credited us with. Um, He said, you know, I know when you bring something to the table, everyone agreed to it. Mm -hmm. And so I think if we continue that um, with the new county executive, I think we'll be just as successful. But we, you know, we're, we're, he's in his third year of his term here. Yeah. But we had COVID in there. So it was a little goofy, you know, it was, things weren't normal. Okay. And, and so I, I, um, we did meet online uh, and he did change the process a little bit. um, But we did meet online and then there was one in person last year. Um, but I think that speaking with one voice is important. Um, and I think the other thing, too, is um, we all, when it comes to projects like this, we all talk to each other. We all kind okay. of, you know, make sure that um, everybody's voice is heard at the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, we always made sure when it was Rep. Sunny and now with Rep. Banta that we don't exclude the outer areas of the county, right? Yeah, you know that that we make sure that not every all the money just goes right into the city. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, Rep. Bizarro, if there's a project in his district that you know we consider that, if Rep. Banta has something that we consider that, yeah. so that that the whole county benefits, and I think that's uh, a fair way to do it. And of course, Senator Laughlin has the whole county, right, uh, de facto, and so um, so we're always looking at the big picture, and I think that's the difference between what I'm doing now and when I was on city council. Um, this is the 30,000 foot view. And yeah, then, yeah. you know, they're advocating for projects because they know like this is going to affect this area right here, right now. And I have to look now at the big picture of, okay, how does this fit for the whole County mm-hmm. and how does it fit in relation to the five municipalities that I represent, but also um, the five representatives in Erie and the delegation. I want you to weigh in on how Pennsylvania as a whole, as a commonwealth, 
does with economic development. I have a couple numbers for you. So Pennsylvania's GDP is $874 billion. Ohio is $765 billion. So it's considerably smaller, like over $100 billion in economic. But it seems like Ohio has all kinds of money to build out their economic development ecosystem. I mean, literally, their lottery goes to economic development. Our lottery goes to senior adults. Is Does that put PA at a disadvantage? I don't think it puts it as a, at a disadvantage as much as it, it forces us to be creative with how we do economic development. Okay. Now, um, I will say, because we are on the border with Ohio, and I have to be honest, you know, when I was on city council, there was... A, a chemical company and we were competing with Ohio and um, you know we were able to put together uh, which I thought was a competitive package but then Ohio comes in they were basically giving like half a million dollars a job uh, oh in economic God. development so they were giving away the farm to get this company but they were in in essence losing money um, to get this company in I don't know if that's good economic development. If you're paying more for the job, and I'll give you another example. When Boston, when GE left Connecticut and went to Boston, um, Boston lost on the deal because at the end of the day, GE shrunk. So there's always risk involved. That's true. When you're doing these types of um, packages to lure new businesses in, I'm much more in favor of homegrown and supporting the Pennsylvania businesses that start here and then they grow. Because Business they, retention and expansion. Absolutely. That that is it should be eighty percent of our efforts in economic development go to keeping the guys happy that are already here. I, I'm in favor of that. State Representative Bob Mursky is live in studio with us here at 429 State Street. And and Bob, I, I wanna keep going here and and talk about some of the some of the things that seem to be highlights, especially in games and fishery, uh, I, I I read a really cool article uh, from the Game Commission folks about the reintroduction of the American Martin. This is this little weasel. Are you acquainted with this? I'm familiar with it. I, I mean, they want to bring them back because I guess they were eradicated yes. from PA a hundred years ago or something yeah, like that. It's kind of controversial. Is uh, it really? In, in talking with some of the farmers and and. Some of the hunters, they were, they're concerned about Well, they're it. predators, right? Yes. I mean, okay. Yes. And so um, there's, you know, we had a, a meeting about it, a hearing, and, you know, some concerns were brought up about the reintroduction uh, and what it will do to the existing wildlife. Um, the Game Commission is confident that um, they will integrate seamlessly into the, okay. uh, you know, there'll be some adjustment at first, but eventually the ecosystem will balance out and they will just be part of the ecosystem. Um, but they are native to here. I mean, this is right. So it's a reintroduction. They've already were here and we kind of hunted them out of existence. Yeah. I guess we're not bringing back the mountain lion or the gray wolf. <laughs> not yet. No, no, <laughs> but no. I guess they want to do that. Um, uh, games and fisheries. Um, do you have any comments about the, the project Neptune thing? I mean, it seems like what we're trying to do, what Gannon's trying to do is really try to clean up Lake Erie, especially of the plastics. Yes, I, I think the, the project itself is a great idea. Yeah. I think the process was completely rushed and I think that's part of the problem. When, you, when you're doing um, major projects like this, especially with public property, um, it's always important to have buy-in from the community. And I think that's the component that was missing from this 
um, whole endeavor is the community buy-in. It was just kind of put on the agenda with no public hearings and then pushed through. And I think that's why you're seeing the pushback yeah. um, that it is. I think, uh, but the project itself, I think, is good. You know, uh, my preference would be for it to be in another location, um, just to calm calm everybody down. Right. And, you know. Well, it makes you wonder <clears throat> now that the port authority director is leaving. Maybe the port would look at it a second time. I don't know. But, I mean, but I mean, at this point, I, I think, um, you know, the project itself has merit. Yeah. 110 percent. And we need to, to get behind that project. Um, what it looks like or how it looks like, um, you know, that's a local decision that needs to be made. I told you how I feel yeah. about it. Um, right. But, you know, ultimately, um, the county owns the library and the county has to make that decision. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. Well, but th- again, I'm very interested in how we look in front of Shapiro and Harrisburg and the, you know, the infrastructure down. Does this make us look bad or does is this a ding in our armor? I, I don't know if it's a ding in armor. I mean, I think it, it made it down to Harrisburg and I think, you know, yeah. people have complained and they've written to the, the governor and the libraries. And But yeah. I, I think... Um, that's part of the public process. Yeah. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, because he's getting letters from Philadelphia and he's getting letters from <laughs> That's true too. Pittsburgh yeah. and That's Allentown true. and yeah. Reading and Scranton. So it's not unique. It's not like Erie's the only one with an issue. So, right. you know, there's issues all across the Commonwealth. Um, are, are we also um, in the middle of a, a dicey situation with the... Uh, with the Brig Niagara and the Niagara, the flagship Niagara League, and the that's, kind of the takeover by the that's a big issue right now. Um, you know, I I'm keeping abreast of it. Rep Harkins has been taking the lead on yeah. it because it's his district. It's his district. Um, yeah. But uh, from what I understand, the, the Pennsylvania uh, Historical Museum and Historical Commission is committed to keeping it in Erie and making sure that um, it's fully staffed. Um, but transition, you know, again, it goes back to that public process. I think this was a little too abrupt. Um, and I think that, you know, had we had some lead time to know about it and and transition, it would have been, uh, definitely easier for the flagship Niagara league and, and for, um, the elected folks like us. I mean, it was kind of, uh, ready, fire, aim, you know, (laughs) that's a great way to put it. All right. I, I gotta I gotta use our rest of our time. We only have about fifteen minutes left with the uh, with the state representative and talk about basic ed. And again, you were in Erie's public schools for how many years? Um, fifteen in the oh my Erie gosh. public. Yeah. yeah. Um, in in your gut, in your knowledge base, how do you build schools to be places of learning, respect, and frankly, peace? Well. Part of it is schools are a microcosm of the community. Um, you know, they don't operate in isolation of the community. They, they, the kids come from the neighborhoods. And so uh, I was fortunate enough to be uh, a teacher during the Rendell administration when there was historic investments in public education. Uh, and we had, Erie was known as the overachiever, meaning we had on paper, kids that should be statistics, and we had them at levels that wasn't um, that was overachieving for what uh, where they came. There was extreme growth, and how did we do that? We did that by having quality before school programming, quality after school programming. We had two programs: gaps and champs. Gaps, I believe, was like gaining achievement and performance in students. And I had the privilege of running that program at Wayne. And it was an intense math and reading 
supplemental program. And so what it did is took kids where they were and we tried to get them up to grade level. Wow. And I think that's one of the things um, that we need to go back to. We need to make sure that we're doing the remediation on the kids that need it. These kids were targeted. It wasn't just like a free for all. Everyone come if you want, you know, free babysitting. This was we want your child to come to this program because we think we can get their growth up to grade level. When did you start that? Like at what? Well, grade that was level? already there. But um, what grade level was it? First or second grade? I think it was. Or? I think it was second, first, and second. Yeah. It was like, so before it was, they even learn to read, you're already they, when intervening. Were, when they were learning to read, yeah. Yeah, you're yeah. intervening right there because again, you got to learn to read, then read to learn. Listen, for the 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 best thing we could do, in my opinion, is invest in quality. Uh, pre-K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For every dollar you spend in pre-K, you get a $7 return on the back end. And if you can remediate somebody when they're learning to read and they're having difficulty then, it's so much easier uh, to correct a mistake when you're learning than after you've already learned it the wrong way. <laughs> right. And then you have to yeah. reteach it. Wow. Um, it. It's just so much easier and, and a lot less resources go into it and, and a lot less time. Plus kids are sponges. And so the mm -hmm. younger they are, the more um, that we can work on fluency and work on, you know, letter sounds and and just exposure to literacy, I think, is important. And the same thing with the math program. You finished your career in the Erie District at Collegiate. Their motto is pride, honor and respect. I asked the head of the EEA when they were here right after the shooting. I'm like, how or and I've asked. Yeah, I've asked Mr. Polito. I've asked Mr. Nixon. How do you adopt that kind of um, in school, in building culture between teachers and students to, so that everybody can feel like they have a chance to learn? How do you build culture like that? It's difficult and it takes time and it takes effort. But I think first and foremost, there has to be accountability. And if students know there's no accountability for their actions, they're going to just keep doing what they're doing. And so you need to have accountability. One of the things that they had when I was there was they had the alternative school. Um, and what it was uh, a benefit as an educator, if a student was chronically disruptive, um, you know, we had a place for them to go so that you weren't spending 90% of your time with 10% of the students and you could work with the kids who wanted to learn um, and who weren't disruptive. And that school had the resources it needed so that those students who had chronic disruptive behaviors, we had behavior specialists there, we had interventions, so that they also were learning to correct their behavior yeah. so that they can learn better. Because when they're disruptive, they're also not learning. And we mm -hmm. want all children to learn. And so that I think we need to, um, in, in an effort to have equity, um, sometimes we forget that everybody has individual needs and we need to address those individual needs and sometimes it can't be done uh, in a classroom with 30 kids sometimes it has to be done in a smaller group and sometimes it has to be done at a different location or at a different site and yeah. I think those two things um, those intense interventions but then that helps you create a culture when there's accountability and kids I mean, and I look at when I taught at Holy Family and Sister Kevin was there wow. I, I mean I was scared of her you know <laughs> but in a good way it right. was a healthy yeah. fear and I never and that was the hardest I worked as a teacher because she worked harder than all of us and but the culture was the expectation was there you were expected to behave this way and and if you didn't there was a consequence and so um, but it was also done in a spirit of um, 
collaboration and in a spirit of you know it was never belittling kids it, it, it was well, done in a spirit of love i get a sense that there's respect that comes from the teacher and respect that comes from the kids for the teacher like i appreciate what you're imparting to me mm-hmm. and you as a teacher appreciates that they're working yeah. hard the hardest thing though to be honest and i'm being completely honest here when i started in the Erie school district if i called four parents three out of four um thought that they what you know took what i said as the truth and that their kid was in the wrong or whatever the behavior was by the time i left um i would say half to three of those would say well what did you do to my kid that was oh. like the initial response from the parent and so when when parents kids pick up on that kids pick up on that and when they feel that um you know they have one up on you it makes it harder for them to, they're just not gonna respect you in the same way as if they think there's accountability at home. And so I don't know how you change society. Yeah, that's more of a societal issue. That's a societal issue, and that's bigger than the school district. Absolutely. That's bigger than any individual teacher. Um, But that being said, we still have to teach those kids, and so I think our teachers today, I give them a ton of credit. That's why so many people are leaving the profession. Um, The the amount of, of, disrespect we've deprofessionalized teaching um in you know we just had this i was at the league of women voters today and they said well, all these other countries are doing better than us and i go all these other countries respect teachers in a way that the united states does not and i said it's not an eerie problem it's a societal problem this is a great segue to my next question is are we spending enough on basic ed and that goes right to teacher salaries right I mean, well i think there's um are we spending enough I don't like to say we're throwing money at a problem, but I said it this way. No one has a problem when we put money into prisons. Nobody questions it. Nobody says we're spending too much on prisons, but yet we spend more per prisoner than we do per student. And so are we spending enough? We're spending, I mean, could you learn? Yeah, people are learning. There's some great school districts out there, but what they're doing is supplementing with their local tax base. And if you have a big tax base, you usually have good schools. And the places that don't have a strong tax base because they have a lot of nonprofits, they have a lot of older infrastructure, older housing, um, they're not, they don't have the resources that are equal to those school districts that have a stronger tax base. And so what the state's basic funding formula says is, okay, we have to make sure that everybody has the resources they need so that our students are successful. It isn't about this city or that city, it's about student achievement and student success because when our Pennsylvania students are successful, it's gonna raise the economy for all of us. 100%. And so um, I think that's one of the things that where we have to make those investments and we also have to take into account places that have a lot of English language learners like the city of Erie. You know, when it, I can't even imagine getting uprooted from my country right now, going to um, Nepal and then having to learn the language, like just getting thrown right, in the yeah. classroom. Doing and, the opposite of what just happened. And yeah. so you look at yeah. these kids, and they were kids in my classroom, and wow. how quick they picked up the language, mm-hmm. how quick they, we, we taught them. Um, but, you know, that is, you know, comes with its own set of sure. issues and the resources that you need. So where, where do you get resources from? Money. And so that's where you need the money to, to pay for these things so that these kids get up to speed. Because the last thing you want is a city full of dropouts. You, you don't want right. that. And that's, so, a, that's an economic um, nightmare. That, that actually would 
draw our economy down. You mentioned fair funding formula. What's the latest on that from your from where you sit? Uh, I mean, the, the courts have been involved in that. Now. So they just released the Basic Education Funding Commission's report, and uh, we're chronically underfunding public education in, in Pennsylvania. I believe every school district in my legislative district, which is the city of Erie, Harbor Creek, Iroquois, Fort LaBeouf, and Wattsburg area, um, all have uh, issues that are they're underfunded with obviously the lion's share being the city of Erie. And so when we look at that, um, we have to ask ourselves, okay, well, how did this happen? But then also, where do we find the money to do it? Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just pick from the money tree. And so where do we get these resources to uh, make these communities whole? And what it does ultimately, it benefits the taxpayers if the state's paying for it because we can spread those resources uh, across the Commonwealth so that your individual property taxes don't have to go up. So if we're getting the money from, let's just say we, we add a sales tax to, you know, 10 cent tax to a bottle of pop. Okay. Um, you know, that's less pain than for, you know, my aunt or my grandma who's on a fixed income now because they're retired and they're trying to keep their house than to raise their property taxes. Right. And so anything we can do to keep property taxes low or lower property taxes or keep them stable, mm-hmm. while at the same time giving resources to our schools, I think is a good thing. And we need to figure out how we do that. You know, one of the proposals out there that has been floated, I don't think it's in legislation just yet, but um, is to, you know, legalize the marijuana and use that money for schools. Um, you know, but but we, we can't just keep going to the same well. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, we gotta find a way to generate new revenue. So, so maybe expansive, of some kind of additional streams. Uh, graduation rates. City, I think city boys are under 70%. Yeah. What do you do about that? How do you get to 90? Because I think that's what's on the, the city school district's uh, strategic plan. To me, uh, I think you have to start in middle school with that. 100%. Um, when you socially promote kids that are in sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, what makes you think they're going to pass ninth grade math where they have to have it It's for a credit, and if they don't get it, they don't get the credit? What makes you think they're going to pass ninth grade math if they didn't pass sixth grade math and you just push them along? Wow. To me, that makes no sense. But yet, that's what we do. And we think we're helping the kid. I don't think we're helping the kid. Yeah. I think ultimately you're hurting them. And what you're doing is setting them up for failure. And so I think we need to, once you identify in fifth or sixth grade that these students aren't up to snuff, where they need to be um, on grade level, that's when you have to put in those intense interventions. And I was going to say, you would think that that would be the time there would be all hands on deck, uh, individualized education plans, bring on the resources to allow that kid to succeed. But it's hard because there's no money. And so who, you know, our teachers, they do a lot of work for free already. Yeah, all right. and I, there were many a night... Sunday nights, I was there doing lesson plans for two hours, three hours. Wow. Every night after school, I'd stay till five o'clock from 3.30 to five, correcting papers, tutoring students on my own. Our teachers are working really, really hard. Right. And so, but we need, um, so you need to have additional resources to, to um, counteract that and to work with that. The other thing too, is if you get them younger, it's easier. I talked about that earlier. Yeah. So you, you start in third grade, you start in uh, second grade. And then you nip it in the bud. So if you can get them up to grade level in second grade and then keep them there, you're saving all that money then rather than putting in those intense interventions in sixth grade, seventh grade. Because by the time they're in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, 
they've already had bad experiences with school and then they don't like it. Right. So you're already dealing with, it's like when so I try to walk. So you're projecting what that, that, that graduation rate might be. When I try to walk the dog yeah. and he doesn't want to move, you know, it's like, <laughs> right. that's what you're, you're doing in middle school. Wow. And I taught middle school for the majority of my career. Middle school is a lot harder. It's easier to get them in elementary school. Just got a minute or two with uh, Representative Bob Mursky. What about career pathways? There's a lot of hangering going on right now. Uh, first off, about educational achievement, not enough Young men are, are, are seeking post-secondary ed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we've got people that are underutilized that could be in the trades, could be going to college, could be in the military. I mean, military is not even hitting their numbers, Bob. Right. I mean, what do you do about engaging these youth into successful family-sustaining jobs, you know? Uh, and the cat, the pathway that way. You if know? I had the answer to that, I yeah. would be a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, um, yes. But I think that one of the things that we have to do is look at um, I, when talking to the folks in the trades, yeah. uh, the business agents in the building trades, the, um, there's two things that are impediments to career success. The first one is attendance, and the second one is drug addiction or drug use. Uh, maybe not addiction, drug use. They can't pass a drug test, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, you can't stop smoking weed for 30 days. To, like you know, this test is coming up, and um, but they won't. They don't, and they won't. So they're that's they're hurting themselves in that sense um, by not being drug free. And then the other thing is uh, attendance. You have to show up every day, and for some reason, uh, you know, it was drilled into me. You show up for work. If unless you're dead, you show up for <laughs> right, work. Right. And that's yeah. you know, yeah. I, there were many a day where I went to. I, I'll be completely honest. You know, I went out the night before and I didn't feel like going in, but I went mm-hmm. into work yeah. because that's what you did. You didn't take off work, and especially when you were a teacher, you couldn't. It's more work to get a substitute than it is to Absolutely. just show up and do it. But um, but I think that work ethic's not there, and I don't know how you build that back up. Uh, and, and it goes back to that accountability piece. I think if people feel that um, they're part of a team, they feel accountable for their actions, then I think you're going to see more of that. But those are the two things that consistently come up with the building trades is attendance and drug use. That's where they most people yeah, drop you, out you of the can't program. Be, you can't <clears throat> be half, you know, two sheets to the wind and operate a circular saw, right. you know, as a carpenter. You 100%. Can't no, yeah. you're, you're putting everyone's life at risk. Absolutely. Yeah. I got to leave it there. Representative Bob Mursky, don't be a stranger. I hope that you have a, a great, uh, you know, you got a campaign season going here. So yeah, uh, here know, stay safe on the trail. It's the people's house. They can put you in and they can take you out. <laughs> You've been listening to the Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at talkerie.com.